0: So, please turn to page 774. 774 or it's on your large print sheets as well. Psalm 56. Page 774. Psalm 56. And we will be reading this psalm in its entirety. Psalm Fifty-six <clears throat> To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mictom of David, when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day, they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps, when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. Beloved people of God, today we look at Psalm 56, and I'm using this, among other things, as a preparation for communion uh, for next week for the observance of the Lord's Supper. In Psalm 56, we see that the psalmist acknowledges his fears and expresses his faith in God he acknowledges his fears and expresses his faith in God, and thus the title of the sermon, Fears and Faith. Now, you'll notice that I did not start with uh, what is verse 1 in the English version. I started with the title, because the titles of the Psalms are also inspired under the, they're given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're there for our edification, for our understanding. So we see here then uh, that this was to the chief musician. And then it says, set to, uh, in the Hebrew, it would be, Jonoth Elam Rechokim. that is to say, set to the silent dove in distant lands. Now, if you look at our Psalters, you will see that each of the tunes has a title. And uh, each of the tunes has a title. Well, in the Old Testament, we see that the tunes had titles also. And that's what's being indicated here. It's another reminder, is it not, my friends, that the Psalms are designed to be sung. But the other thing we see here is, in terms of the title... It says this was a miktam of David, miktam sort of like a a wisdom, expression of wisdom of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And that's why I had us read today from 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. Very interesting account. Uh, This, of course, uh, is when uh, David, before he was king, um, uh, this is, uh, of course, the when he had to flee uh, from uh, King Saul, and uh, so in 1 Samuel twenty-one we read that David arose and fled from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, so he was. He thought, well, let me get out of out of town here. Let me get out because Saul is after me. I'll go over to the. Uh, to the uh, Philistines and yet notice that as he, as he was there in Gath under the, uh, under the authority of uh, Achish uh, under his dominion that the advisors the servants of Achish said is this not David the king of the land did they not say Saul is his thousands and David is ten thousand in other words this is a dangerous fellow we got to take care of him so what does he do? Verse 13, it's really, it's one of the humorous, actually, portions of Scripture. It's, it's one of the, one of the um, um, uh, gripping portions of Scripture, dramatic portions. But there's a humor here we'll see in just a moment. So what did he do? He pretended to be crazy. He changed his behavior. He, he scrabbled, he scratched on the doors of the gate. He let his saliva fall down on his beard and so, verse fourteen, Achish said to his servants, "Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? <laughs> in other words, I've got enough in my among my officials, right? Do I have need of crazy people that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? And as a result of that, he was able then to escape because they thought, well, he's you know just gone crazy and everything. But it's kind of a funny." Funny wording there, isn't it, of Akish, do I, do, do I have need of crazy people in my government that you have to bring this fellow here? Well, he then departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam, as we read in chapter 22. And um, notice that he started gathering people around him uh, to help him uh, in terms of his um, really being an outlaw at this point. And uh, But the, uh, the king of Moab uh, allowed uh, heard David's plea and allowed David's father and mother to come there to, with him till, as David said, till I know what God will do for me. So that's the background. That's the background for this psalm. As we find many other times, the background for the psalm is given and so it is given here. Gath, uh, by the way, was the hometown of Goliath. Children, you remember Goliath, right? And so that was, the, that was the hometown of Goliath. Interesting. Well, so let's first of all then look at the fears, and then we'll look at the faith. So let's look at the fears first of all. Now the context here, the particular context for the fears that David had, had to do with enemies who hate us and would seek to destroy us, or in this case, would hate him, David, and would seek to destroy him. That's the particular context. So, for example, look at verses 1 and 2. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. You know, kind of like one of those snakes, right? That just swallow you up, and um, fighting though, fighting all day, he oppresses me. Mm-hmm. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. That is to say that, in other words, it's it's like 24-7 almost. It's like 24-7. And it's been said that this is not just an indication of the humans that are, that are the enemies, and it's, you know, in a sense almost poetic, the expression, but who's behind that? Who's behind the enemies is our great enemy, the devil, who doesn't let up at all, does he? So be merciful. Man would swallow me up, fighting all day. He oppresses me. Verse 2, my enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me O Most High, O God, Thou art the one who is most high. Therefore, Lord, from on high, have mercy upon me and deliver me. And then if you look at verses 5 and 6, all day they twist my words, pervert my words, all their thoughts against me for evil. In other words, they're lying about me. They're taking my words and they're giving a different meaning to them, and this is all part of their trying to destroy me. And notice verse 6, they gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Kind of sounds like the bluff, doesn't it? Right? It sounds like that kind of evil that lurks, that lurks in streets. And yet, of course, it's, it's a particular enemy that, that uh, David has here, because remember, David, not just, not just is the fact that David is a godly man, but is also the fact that he is a representative of Christ. He's one that points forward to Christ. And so we have to interpret this, of course, this enemy, in terms of David, who represents the greater son of David, uh, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many instances of these enemies, then, trying to destroy, whether it be David, or whether it uh, be destroy to destroy the people of God in general. Look with, with me at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find this on page 92. And... Um, Notice on page 92 then, Exodus 14, uh, verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea besides Pai Hariroth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and, behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Well, you can see why they would be afraid as they have these this mighty army and these chariots uh, coming after them. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, you'll find this on page 509. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 6, page 509. This is a situation where the king of Syria, the king of Syria, was making war against Israel, and and um, you know the the Israelites kept on escaping because God was revealing uh, to the prophet, God was revealing to Elisha what was going to happen, and verse twelve. One of his servants said, none of us, my lord, O king, is telling what's going on as a spy, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So what does the king of Syria do? Verse 14, therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there to Dothan, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. There was fear, although let me just continue on. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain. Was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There are more with us than there are with these Syrian soldiers. And notice verse 18 uh, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. He struck them with blindness, and then he, he was able to capture them and lead them into the city. All of a sudden, there they were, uh, and in Samaria, surrounded by uh, the Israelites and uh, so a great victory. But the fear, the fear that can come because we are in a battle, we're in a struggle. Now, that's the context then, the context, those who would hate us and seek to destroy us. But surely we can apply this more broadly because there are other Examples of times when we might be afraid. For example, with regard to finances. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you aren't able to pay the bills, or you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. And that can be a fearful thing. Or with regard to health and pain. None of us likes pain. As we were talking about earlier, it is. Sometimes God's chastening hand upon us for our good, but it is the gift that no one wants. But nevertheless, we can be afraid of those things. Oh, my health, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what's happening with me, and so forth. Um, with regard to sin and its consequences, with regard to sin and its consequences, we can be afraid of when we look at ourselves, look at our lives, we say, why am I doing that? Why did I do that? And then the consequences of that could be all kinds of things. Being shamed, maybe being imprisoned in jail, maybe because of trumped-up charges, or maybe because we deserved it. But we can be, if we are in jail, if we are in prison, we can be afraid, can we not? With regard to death itself, that can be a fearful thing. And of course then, with regard to the assurance of salvation. And so I believe it is entirely appropriate to apply this broadly. And even though there's a particular context, but to apply it broadly In verse 3, whenever I am afraid, whatever the circumstance may be. But verse 3, you see, then gives the answer, doesn't it? It gives the answer. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. I will exercise faith. This was true at the Exodus where the people saw the deliverance and all the all of the, the, um, the chariots, all the Egyptians were, were drowned, were destroyed when the waters of the Red Sea came back upon them. Or even as we mentioned when Elisha was surrounded. He could have been afraid, but he wasn't because God gave him the eyes to see and then The eyes of that young man, of his servant, were opened to see. There's the answer. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And of course, we find this notion of trusting in God all throughout Scripture. Jesus counseled us not to fret, not to worry about what tomorrow may bring, but trust your heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul had to learn to trust God with regard to his thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times, Lord, take this away. This is a pain. This is, this is something that is annoying. But he had to learn to trust God with regard to that. Paul himself tells us that death has lost its sting. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid of death. And Peter writes that he who has begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. So in terms of faith, we first of all see the answer. Verse 3, I will trust in thee. And then we have the assertion. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put My trust. And in doing so, I will praise thee. I will praise thy word. I will rely upon thee. I have put my trust. Therefore, the assertion, I will not fear. Why? Because he says, What can flesh do to me? And so there we have not only the answer in verse 3, but the assertion in verse 4. And then notice verses 8 and 9, the assurance. The assurance. The first thing we notice in these two verses, 8 and 9, is that God numbers David's wanderings. He numbers his wanderings. See, David had a fleet, didn't he? had to flee from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And he had to flee several times, actually. And so he says here, Thou numberest my wanderings. Lord, thou dost know. Remember, thou hast numbered them. Thou art the one who's in charge of all of those incidents. Therefore, I should not be afraid, because, Lord, thou art the one in charge even as I'm being driven all over the countryside. But he goes on, notice the second part of verse 8. He goes on to say, put my tears into thy bottle. See, God treasured up David's tears. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's it's like having, and, and by the way, when it says bottle here, we're not looking at like a, uh, a plastic bottle or a glass bottle. This would have been a large leather type thing, okay? When we talk about a bottle, that's what's being referred to here. So, it wasn't just a, you know, like a, a baby's bottle or something like that, or like you perfume bottle. This would have been, this would have carried a lot of liquid. And therefore, he's saying, put my tears into thy bottle. But, of course, with the expectation, Lord, thou wilt do that. God treasured up David's tears, every last teardrop. So David cried, but all of his tears were treasured up by God. And not only that, but notice, he also wrote them in his book. He wrote them in a book. He kept track of all the tears. God, you know, has numbered every, all the stars. He counts them one by one. He counts, I don't know if he named every tear, but he counts every tear. In verse 9, David is certain that all his enemies will be turned back. Why? Because God is for him. And so we have the answer of that trust, faith, the assertion, I have put my trust in thee, the assurance of that. In verses 10 through 13, the affirmation. Notice the refrain, if you will, in verse 10. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. (coughs) Repetition, refrain, I will praise his word. David in verse 11 again declares his trust in God. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verse 12. This affirmation leads to worship. Vows made to thee are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to thee. So here we have vowing to the Lord, promising taking vows, like oaths and vows, but also a sacrifice of praise, which implies, which points to a thank offering. Um, We'll we'll be talking about the singing of praise in just a moment, and you could see that there, but I think uh, many commentators would say that when it says, um, when it talks about this, it is, when I will render praises to thee, It is more the idea of the sacrifice of praise and the idea of sacrifice in terms of thanksgiving, a thank offering. And notice verse 13. Though expressed as a question, David is here affirming that God will protect him. Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Hast thou not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? It's a question but, of course, there's no question about it. It's a rhetorical question. And so the affirmation of his faith. Well, so I have three basic points of application today, and they all relate to the idea, what should you do when you're afraid? What should you do when you're afraid? So the first thing is, number one, trust in God, that he will take care of you. Trust in God that he will take care of you. Remember that he is a kind heavenly father who treasures up all your tears. He treasures up all your tears. And therefore, trust that he will take care of you. Remember also in this regard that he will cast down all of our enemies. Verse 7, in anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You see, the Lord not only sympathizes with us, it's not just that he feels our pain, if you will, but he can actually do something about our situation. And that's, that gives us comfort and peace. It's not just that he sympathizes. We can sympathize with people and we can't do anything. But God can do something, and therefore, trust in God, for he will take care of you. Secondly, look to Christ. Look to Christ. You see he is the one who had to wrestle with all kinds of things. And I want you to turn with me then in this regard. Let's look in the New Testament. Let's look at Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter 4 verses 28 and 29 page 1388. Luke 4 28 and 29 page 1388. This, of course, is where, um, where Jesus um, went to the synagogue and uh, spoke uh, from uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 61, and applied it to himself. And in, in verse 28 we read, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these Things were delighted and embraced Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Were filled with wrath, with rage. They were angry and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill in which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Not exactly a warm welcome, shall we say. Then look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, page 14.43, John chapter 7, 14.43. Chapter 7 of John, verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Then look at chapter 8, chapter 8 of, and verse 6, page 14.45. This they said, that is to say, the scribes and Pharisees. This is with regard to the woman caught in adultery. This, they said, testing him, trying to trip him up, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They didn't come to Jesus looking for answers. They came to Jesus trying to destroy him. And again, verse 59 of of John chapter 8 Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So great opposition. Great opposition. He also faced betrayal. Mark 14. Mark 14. And so if you're looking on... Uh, page thirteen seventy five. Page thirteen seventy five. Mark fourteen. And immediately, verses forty three through forty five. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, of course, that had been one of the apostles, right, one of the disciples. Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. The Judas kiss. He was betrayed. But he was also, Jesus was also one who was abandoned and denied. Again, Mark 14, look at verse 50. Then all forsook him and fled. Even this young man who uh, was trying to follow, and yet he had to leave. Verse 52, the linen cloth behind and fled from them naked. They all forsook him and fled. He was abandoned, but you remember he was also denied. Look at verses 66 and following in terms of Peter you also, the little girl said, the servant girl said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 68, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. Again, verse 71, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. This is the third time then. Peter called to mind the word that Jesus has said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So great opposition, betrayal, being abandoned and denied, being tempted by the devil, Matthew chapter 4. And of course, we need to remember that although that was a particular time of temptation, it was not the only time. It's not as if the devil let him alone. There were always things swirling about him, but there were, though, though that was a particular time where the devil tempted him, and more than that, having to stare death and hell in the face. Look at Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, page 13. Excuse me, 14:25, page 14:25. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 42. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throne. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Why did he pray that prayer? He was staring death in the face. Now, he overcame that, of course. But it was still something he had to fight through. And then we go on, look at verses 43 and 44. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see he shed drops of blood along with tears in the garden of Gethsemane. Not only is he the only begotten son whose tears the father took notice of. But the father stored up Jesus' tears in a bottle and wrote them in a book. Even at the as we, as we had our memory verse today, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept there at the tomb of Lazarus. In in recognition, I mean, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but Jesus wept because of the the spiritual battle and the, 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 the dealing with the death and the sorrow. But we also find specifically in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, page 1619, we also find specifically in terms of Jesus, Hebrews 5, 7 and 8, where he is noted to be the priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, verse 7 of Hebrews 5, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Isn't that amazing? See, we, when we think of Jesus, we tend to think, well, of course he died for us. You know, we, we forget, we forget what that cost him. He is the only begotten son who cried, as the God-man who cried. And the father stored up in a bottle and wrote in a book. The tears that Jesus shed. And he, Jesus, walks alongside us as our elder brother, holding on to us when we would stumble. Holding on to us when we would stumble. Verse 13, going back to Psalm Psalm 56. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? You see, it is Jesus who holds us by his hand. He walks alongside us like an older brother does, like an older brother holding on to his younger brothers and sisters. When we would stumble, he holds on to us so that we don't. He is the one who protects us from our enemies. Go back to Luke 22, just for a moment. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, page 1424. Luke 22, 31 and 32, page 1424. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your face should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, the Lord is, Jesus is the one who protects us from our enemies. And especially from the devil. And he is the one who guarantees us salvation, purchased by his blood. And here we'll go back to Hebrews. Now Hebrews 9, in verse 11, and following page 1622. He is the one who guarantees us salvation, purchased by his blood. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God? cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so we look to Christ who guarantees our salvation. And how does he guarantee it? Because he purchased it with his own blood. His promise is blood sealed. And he, therefore, is the one who delivers our soul from death Again, Psalm 56, verse 13. He keeps us from stumbling and delivers our soul from death. And so, my friends, trust in God that he will take care of you. Secondly, look to Christ as the one who himself shed tears on our behalf, tears that the Father treasures up. And thirdly, then offer worship offer worship. I've already mentioned vows and thanksgivings but by implication all the other practices of worship as well. Prayer the singing of praise the reading and hearing of the word, the preaching and hearing of the word and the sacraments. Worship that's the response but never forget my friends that the worship itself is based upon, it is built upon, the offering and the sacrifice of Christ. And so, you see, the psalmist moves from fear to faith. And because he's able to do that, he is able to offer worship. And so must we. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer. And our Father, we pray that we might indeed vow and keep our vows. Father, too many times we have spoken with our lips professions of faith yet perhaps not meant them or not been wholehearted. So we pray, Lord, that in light of the trust that we can have in thee and in light of the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ and his blood and, yes, his tears, Lord, we pray uh, that we might offer vows and thank offerings as well. That we might not only offer worship, but Lord, that we might present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Thee. For truly, that is our reasonable service. But Father, we pray that we'd be given the grace not to fear, because Lord, there are many things of which we are afraid. But Lord, give us the grace. Not to fear, but rather to have faith. And we'll thank thee for that. In Jesus' name, amen.